welcome to series three of the Tim Hill podcast. In the last two series, I've told you about my life. I've met many interesting people along the way who have become my friends. And what they all have in common is they have fascinating stories of their own, which they are happy to share with you now. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Tim Hill podcast. In this episode, we're going to carry on a chat with Tim Thorley. So Tim, if you can recap where we were on the last one. Right, we were talking about, I'd done the Gulf War on the mobile aircraft repair unit, uh, mobile aircraft support unit, and <clears throat> time was trailing on and age was clocking on. And so I found myself almost to the end of my um, time within the Royal Navy. One of the uh, things that did come did come up was that uh, with HMS Daedalus destined to be closed, they were looking for a uh, Daedalus closure officer, which to, was to be a retired officer billet. Uh, so, which I then applied for and got interviewed, and subsequently I was successful in getting the job as the Daedalus closure officer. So, for one month. It was a wonderful month. I was getting paid as a lieutenant commander. At the same time, I was getting paid as a civil servant, RO2. So two lots of pay coming in for a month. <laughs> and then uh, and then I moved offices uh, in, uh, in within Daedalus and started, started the work of uh, running the establishment down. But at the same time, uh, I was very fortunate. I've still been able to uh, run the Naval Air Command Sailing Exped. Uh, and doing quite quite a lot of sailing in in my spare time, but then the job the job of closure uh, became very interesting. Different things one way and another, and and that went on until the actual closure uh, of Daedalus in 1996, when I handed the keys over to the defence land agent and uh, and literally put the milk bottles out, and that was the place closed. So that was all came about through options for change, I guess, at that time. Yes, it was. In 94, yeah, yeah. they made that sort of decision. That's right. Yeah. It was a, a, a bit of a, uh, it was, it, you could understand, you know, because you could stand on the, on the, of the roof at Daedalus and look at Collingwood and, and Sultan and realize that the, the three of us were all treating at least 70% of the same subjects. So uh, Daedalus was literally ripe for closure. Yeah, it's a real shame, really. They could have um, kept it on and done some real, uh, put something different in there. Oh yes, yeah, it was a it, it was a bit of a bit of a tragedy, really, that uh, some of the things that went on uh, w- during the closure procedure. Yeah, I, I spoke to our local MP a few, or a local councillor a few weeks ago, and he was saying about the rede- redevelopment of Daedalus and the problems that they're having with transport infrastructure of getting in and out of of uh, off the peninsula and Daedalus is key to that whole whole scenario um uh, that's why we're getting the new bypass coming in through um Stubbington so with the closure of Daedalus that was me literally um uh, without without a job and uh, I met somebody that I knew from the Joint Service Adventurous Sail Training Centre 
And um, she said to me, what are you doing? I said, well, nothing now. She said, well, I thought you would have applied for this new job down at the sailing centre where they're looking for a project officer to run the first tri-service uh, adventure sail training race around the world that we hadn't done it before. The three services had never raced anywhere before and they wanted to race somebody around the world. So uh, <coughs> she said, I said, well, that sounds good. She said, well, the applications close tomorrow. So I quickly managed to rush, rush down there and put my application in to become the project officer, the senior project officer for Exercise Transglobe. Wow. So that the following week, they were doing interviews, but I was doing one of the Naval Air Command sailing experts with uh, Sea Harrier, and the boat was uh, just just going in to Cherbourg. So the, I found out that the interview I was scheduled for was the next day. So I managed to catch the night ferry from Cherbourg across to Portsmouth and rushed in to attend the interview looking a bit dishevelled and a bit <laughs> coated in salt. To which still in your sailing gear. Still in my, literally still in my sailing gear, to which I sat in front of this board. And uh, they said, well, where have you come from? I said, I've just come from Cherbourg, where I've left the Naval Air Command yacht and my crew to attend this uh, interview. And they said, well, what are you going to do afterward? I said, catch the next ferry back and pick up my boat. <laughs> I think this went down very well, actually, uh, that I'd actually uh, uh, taken this uh, effort to come across for the interview. And so subsequently, uh, a week later, I got a swift phone call uh, to say that uh, I'd got the job. There were 28 applicants for the job and four of us got into, four of us got interviewed and so I managed to pick up the job so it uh, it transpired that that was that became a two and a half year retired officer job and uh, it was probably one of the most exciting jobs I ever had during my my naval service it was really was exciting and demanding so how did you go about starting that, the planning I guess well the officer in charge joint services saw me when I first came into sort of my first morning and he said, good morning. He said, right. He said, there's a porter cabin over in the car park, which leaks. He said, there is a pencil. I don't want to see you again. <laughs> and that's how I started. It took me four days to get a telephone, sorted the porter cabin out and gradually started getting things together. I was then uh, joined by an Army, uh, an, an army captain from the from the army, and supposedly I was supposed to get somebody from the RAF, but they didn't turn up. And so, with a series of other people, odds and sods, we started to formulate and get different crews and sort things out. The whole thing was done on the auspices of the Royal Ocean Racing Club. Uh, they were running this race around the world, starting from Antigua. And the idea was that boats would join from the Mediterranean, from Gibraltar, from all places within England uh, and Scandinavia, and, and start the race, in fact, from Antigua. Due to some terrible accident, 
there was one of a, a yacht got lost coming out of Whitby. It was a domino effect and people started dropping out right, left and centre. And so uh, Transglobe as a, as, a, as a global thing virtually collapsed. And sure enough, um, I got called up to London to see the uh, the head man of the R and Sailing Association, uh, uh, Admiral West, who's now, as you know, is the first Sea Lord, mm -hmm. and he was in fact the the Chief of Defence Intelligence at the time uh, up in London. And he called me in and he said, uh, "Well, I'm afraid I've got some bad news for you." He said, "I know that you've done some sterling work already." He says, "But trend, uh, the Royal Ocean Racing Club." Have pulled the plug on trans on Transglobe, and and therefore it's not going ahead. So unfortunately, we'll have to uh, to wrap up what the good work that you've done. So I said, well, I'm very very disappointed. I said because a I've got the people, b I've got the boat, and c I've got a lot of money coming in as well. To which he looked at me across his desk and he said, what you're trying to say is that you can do it yourself. I said, yes. He said, right. Okay. I will back you up all the way. Go ahead and do it. So that's how Transglobe came from and became known as a service organization called Exercise Transglobe with the three services. And so it started, so it started off, but the, uh, so, so who was in charge of joint services at that time that put you into that? Porter cabin. Um, David Llewellyn, the late David Llewellyn, and he was taken. He he went and then was taken over by Commander uh, Jeff Goodwin. Yeah, I say I did Jeff a few weeks ago. Yeah, uh, about his time when he was with Joint yeah. Services. Yeah. So, were you able to take part in any legs on Transglobe, or were you just back as as the admin backup for the whole? Um, adventure, and which which boats did you use for it? We had three Nicholson fifty fives, Adventure, Dasher, and uh, the other one. There, there was, I think, Adventure. A Curry? No, we didn't use that. We didn't use that one at all. No, it was Dasher, Adventure, and uh, I, I I I can't even remember now. But three 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 of the Nicholson fifty fives. So, you did all this planning. You got a nod from the first Sea Lord. Yep. So, when did it all kick off, and how many things went wrong? How many things went right? And such a lot went wrong, and such a lot went right. It was really, really, really exciting. Uh, the stories of Transglobe. Uh, one of the the main things we had was we approached a little known travel uh, advisor, um, uh, a ch chap by the name of Graham Grigg from Travel Counselors, not a very well-known firm, and he became our travel coordinator and gave us things like crew crew rates of uh, things. We flew KLM all the time, and he was absolutely staunch at, at, at organising the travel side of things. So from a travel point of view, you got that nailed. Um, and I guess that all came in with the costs. So what was the budget for these three yachts to go around the world? How many stops did they make? 
and thir- 13, th- 13 legs. And there was an, a contribution, initial contribution of £450 per person. And that was their contribution to do it. And we got money from lots of other people. I know that I went up to a firm up in London uh, to, to try and get some money from them. And I, I caught the train. The train was delayed. I had a hell of a job racing across London. I got to this very, very prestigious firm uh, with literally seven minutes to spare and was ushered in to which I managed to change, put a decent tie and shirt on and wheeled into this this firm to do a presentation on what we were going to do and came out with £27,000 in my pocket. So right royal result then. So that was a successful trip. You might have more difficulty doing that sort of thing nowadays. But you asked if any of the team were actually sailed with the, with the boats. Uh, what we appointed was uh, the uh, exercise li- liaison officer who would go to each port uh, initially before the boats came in to organise, set things up, to change the crews train up the new crew, get rid of the old crew, and then start the next leg. So uh, I found that <coughs> I didn't sail a mile. I went everywhere by a uh, jumbo jet, which was far better than a yacht because it goes better to windward. <laughs> and uh, and, and let, literally went and arrived in places like South Africa uh, and down into the Caribbean, just knocked on people's door and told they knew I was coming and um, set set things up from day one. Brilliant. So, did you go round round the the world first to set this up? Or no, no, it was all it was, done. It initially. was all done yeah. initially, yeah. and then yeah, and then it set off. And then, did you go out and meet the boats? Yes. Yeah, we, I, I went out there usually about uh, seven to ten days before the boats were due in to set things up. And that's when it became quite quite exciting to do that. Mm. So what sort of comms did you have with the boats while they were going around? It was a satellite communication, very quite primitive, really. We used to call this thing a brick, uh, which we used to put in there. And we were there. We were able to see exactly where the boats were. Co- communication was very sparse. Um, and uh, so... <clears throat> That, that, that's that's the way it, it, it was handled. So, from from your point of view of, of organising the whole trip, what was the overall budget, and and did you did you meet the budget at the end of the exercise? We kept within budget. Yeah, we just within budget, uh, and it, it was fi- it was fine. Yeah, there was no no come back at all on that everything everything was done it was audited by uh the people across in portsmouth we used to have, have audits every couple of months just to make sure that everything was fine so the boats were all f- found anyway because they were joint service boats yeah the budgets all came in what was the actual budget what was what was the the end figure Can can you remember? No, because there were lots of things. I I had to buy a new engine in Rio de Janeiro uh, because the one uh, uh, just failed completely. It it, it had seized. So I had to go out and buy a new Yanmar engine. 
which I found in a side street. Uh, I had not a clue what it was like, whether it had got any pistons or anything in it, and I bought it. We fitted it, and uh, and it worked. It was it was all right. So where did the skippers come from, and where did the crews come from, and and were each boat service orientated, or did they have mixed crews? How did it work that out in the end? On the crews. On the first leg, unfortunately, we had uh, one army man was in uh, one of the the Navy blokes in in the Navy boat. He got such a hard time that we said, no, we are not going to swap people around at all. And so uh, that's what what in fact happened. Uh, We we had people there from each service. Um, I must say that I could have filled all three boats with the army. We had such a surplus of army people that were, were wanted to come on the trip and were willing and could be spared. The worst, of course, was the Navy. And we were literally bailed out by them from the uh, university uh, people at Southampton, the university cadet people, which, which worked well. So how many did you put on each boat on each leg? Twelve. Twelve, 12 on each boat, so there's 36 people on each 36 leg. people on each boat. How, yep. how did you get the, the skippers? Did, or did you have one skipper for each boat? For One skipper legs? for each boat, and it was a mixture of joint service skippers and service-qualified skippers. Okay, so did, did you have problems with getting the skippers in the first place? No. Did you have no. to replace any skippers en route? No, not at all. We did, we had no problem at all with skippers, uh, and it, that worked very well. Um, the crew-wise, we we managed all, all all the way around, no trouble. Did the did it, did the crew get a beat up before going out to join the, the boats? Or no, no, they, no. So you're a complete novice. Yeah, we had a young a young RAF girl flew out to uh, Singapore. She'd never, ever been on a yacht before, and she sailed five weeks from Singapore to Cape Town. Crikey. And and I guess you had the same... Which way round the world did you go? Uh, did you come across the sort of roaring 40s through the South Pacific? Uh, or, or no, no. Up? We came through uh, Panama and, across, and then up to Hawaii and then across to uh, Hong Kong. So you took the uh, but the nearest, relatively easy route. Yeah, but apart from the the trip from Singapore to uh, to Cape Town, which was a five week trip, that was a, that was a long trip. Yeah, were, were there any other long legs like that, or is that what that was the that longest? That was that. That was about the longest one. So what was the average time on the trip? About five weeks. So so start fishing. The guys had to get five weeks off work to go and yeah, do it. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. obviously fork out their yeah. own four hundred fifty pound. Did you get any contributions from the units? Yes, the people were coming yes, from. Yes, so, yes, they all. Everybody was advised to try and get something from their welfare funds, from their amenities funds, and and that was uh, they were all sort of gratefully received. But getting getting people off was did have its problems. I had one particular boat that was going to go from Panama to Hawaii. And uh, and I said that mixed crews, I said I would not let 
uh, 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 the minimum for the girls would be three, three girls for a minimum uh, mixture. Mm. Apart from this one leg from uh, Panama to Hawaii, when I had one girl and she was a lieutenant navigator and I had one hell of a job to try and get her uh, onto, onto the crew. And I ended up driving around to see her commanding officer on a ship. And he started to give me a hard time. And so I said to him, I said, what you've got to realize, I said, you've got this young lieutenant. She is going to be the navigator on this yacht. I said, she is going to navigate that boat across the Pacific Ocean to Hawaii from Panama. And she is the navigator. I said, you will get back at the end of five weeks a really, really qualified girl. She will learn so much, it won't be true, and it's to your benefit. He just looked at me and says, fine, you've got her. So what, what was her actual job then on, on board? She was the navigator. No, a, 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 a work job. A work job. Was she was uh, an N2, a, sec a second navigator on one of the destroyers. Oh, right, so she, she, she was already a navigator. Yes. And uh, uh, she was going to pick she, up the navigator. Yeah, she was low, low down on the learning curve as a navigator. Yeah. But this was a quantum leap for her. Yeah. So I, I, I'm assuming that you didn't have the, the luxury of the GPSs and the, the stuff that we've got nowadays. Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. so what, what, what year was this? When did this, this, this was on? just before the millennium, the year before the millennium. So 99. Yeah, 98, so, 99. Yeah, so you'd be getting GPSs in and stuff right, right then. Yeah. They had all that equipment available to yes. them? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it wasn't all done by dead reckoning? DR, no, no. That, that would no. have been a challenge for them all. <laughs> <laughs> challenge for people nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure there's many people around nowadays that can do dead reckoning and, and find a way around. No. I'm sure there's one or two, but I, we, I guess nowadays we rely so much on, on GPS and and satellite navigation to to get us everywhere. Oh yes, yeah. Well, there was there was a boat on the Ark, uh, you know, the Atlantic Rally for cruisers going across to the Caribbean, and he came up uh, with a with a mayday to say that his fridge had packed up. <laughs> so he wasn't he wasn't uh, given much of a, 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 a much much sort of sympathy. And the, another one came up and uh, and said, I've got this massive whale that's just come up alongside me. What do I do? To which his radio exploded <laughs> with about four messages. Get your camera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, excellent. But we had some uh, amazing, amazing things. And we got uh, uh, trashed by, uh, by a hurricane uh, coming up from Rio into uh to uh we should have been going into saint martin but we, we were warned about this hurricane so we the, the three yachts did a burst i managed to get two yachts into uh antigua and then the third one stayed in saint lucia in rodney bay so i managed to get the the two in antigua into nelson's dockyard into the mangrove swamps for the hurricane and we got away with that with no damage at all but it left my boss who was uh, coming out from joint services 
<coughs> flying out to join to join the uh, one one of the yachts, the navy yacht, and he was all. They were all booked into um, into Saint uh, Martin, and I went up there and uh, to meet them. The thirty six, the, the whole lot came out to Saint Martin. To which he said to me, right, he said, he said, we are here now at St. Martin. He says, but I know very well that my boat is in Antigua. <laughs> he says, so you've got a bit of a problem. What are you going to do? So I said, follow me. Went round the corner and there was this 36-seater airplane. And he said, what's that? I said, that is ours for the afternoon. <laughs> so that, I guess that flew them all down to, that to Antigua. That flew all down, yeah, yeah. I chartered that on my Barclay card for three thousand five hundred pound. Bargain. Not sure you would get away with it nowadays. <laughs> Pilot was good. He was a member of the Antigua Yacht Club. Uh, we sacked the air hostess. I took over her job, <laughs> and that was it. So he had to fly back by himself, did he? Yeah, well, yeah, he, he 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 came up, he came up, and um, with the other crew to go back, and then we put the new crew in the aircraft to go back to Antigua. So, how far is is that flight? It's always, it's not far. It was it? a bird or two two and a half hours job flight. Oh, it's not too bad. No, though. no, yeah, little thirty six seater. So, did you have any damage at all in the hurricane on the boats, or no. did they manage to survive it all? No, they managed. To, we had a, a bent pulpit, and that was all. Yeah. Happy days. So, where did you um, go after it all finished up? So, you spent two and a half years planning that and the executing it. So, where and what did you do after that expedition? After that expedition, well, that was it, and then went our separate ways, and I uh, decided I would go into retirement, <laughs> uh, which I did for something like 10 months. And then I was walking down the beach in Hillhead, and I got a telephone call from a good friend of mine who'd taken over my previous unit that, uh, that I'd been to the Gulf War with. And he said, uh, I'm in a bit of a jam. He said, I've got a, a gapped uh, senior position here, uh, which I can't fill. Uh, do you fancy coming to work for me? You know, <laughs> I'd known him for years. And I said, yeah, I can come work for you. As a civil servant? No, uh, back in uniform. Back in uniform? What, mm. on full-time reserve service? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're great, they contracts, aren't they? Yeah. Which is why, well, I learned I learned a lot from that. So that was uh, on the Friday, and on the Tuesday night, I was fully uniformed, haircut, clean shoes, on an aircraft to Uruguay. <laughs> which aircraft was that? Oh, which uh, that was courtesy of British Airways. British Airways flew you out there. Flew to do a job out there. Yeah, yeah. And how long did you do that job for? Oh, I was only out there for two weeks because what happened was that. Uh, the good old British government decided to gift to Uruguay the entire Wessex fleet that was based in Hong Kong when Hong Kong had its independence. They, uh, they they had these spare aircraft, and so they gifted them to Uruguay to keep the Uruguayans sweet because we were using uh, Uruguay as a diversion airfield for their trooping flights coming back from the Falklands. 
this is after the the war, obviously, yeah, yeah. Uh, and this up until so I guess present time. Yes, there's yeah. still troops down in yeah. in the Falklands nowadays. Yes, I think there's a rotation. I think they've got a battle group down there and the associated yeah. RAF. But they, it was for regiments down it there. It was proven embarrassing for these occasionally for these aircraft tristars diverting into Uruguay next door to Argentina because they got problems. Yeah, I guess the, the TriStar is pushing its <laughs> pushing its boundaries certainly nowadays. Yeah, I think yeah. they still got them. I don't know whether they have or what what, what they yeah. do now. No. So, from from that job, how long did you do that FTRS job for? Then? That FTRS job was literally just over twelve months, uh, and I remember it was coming up to uh, the. The Golden Jubilee, Queen's Golden Jubilee, when everybody got a medal. All right, I remember that. Yeah. And uh, I looked at the, the Defence Council instruction and I discovered that uh, I was short of five days to get the medal. <laughs> so, I said <laughs> to my, so I said to my chum, I said, I feel really hacked off that I'm going to dip out of a medal for five days. To which he picked up the phone, rang the appointer, and I got a two-week extension. <laughs> so you got the medal. I got my medal. So how many medals have you? Just I've got three, three so, now. Yeah. So you got the Gulf War, Gulf War, long service, and the uh, Golden Jubilee clinker. Yeah, yeah. Happy days. Yeah. So uh, that 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 was my sort of final final thing with the uh, uh, with the FDRS. Okay. So what are you doing nowadays? Same. So bring bring us right up to date. So that was back in a little while ago. Yeah, I did have I did have that job down at Dartmouth, which was which was really good, uh, an enjoyable job. It was done through the RNSA. Uh, Dartmouth had gone crying to the RNSA to say that they couldn't afford their own skippers down there uh, at, at Dartmouth, and uh, could the RNSA get any volunteers that were suitably qualified? So I said yes, I'll go, and that's what I did. Uh, for uh, quite a few trips down there, drive down to Dartmouth uh, first thing on a Monday morning, uh, take a, one of their contestants out for a, for a week and then bring it back on the Friday and drive home, to which I didn't get paid but got expenses and uh, the pleasure of taking these youngsters out for a week. Uh, really good, very rewarding. And the odd mess dinner thrown in, I guess. I did have a mess odd, dinner thrown the odd, in. The odd yeah, mess the, the, odd, the odd, the odd, the odd, good, the good thing. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess the 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 wardroom in the yacht club or the Britannia Naval College is something quite special. Oh, it is a very special wardroom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, it was interesting. The students were brilliant, absolutely brilliant. Uh, uh, they were quick to learn. And it, I had no trouble whatsoever. Yeah. So, what year was that then? It, that went on literally 2012, 13, 14. Yeah. So, really quite recently. Very, very recently, yeah. 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 So, what are you doing now in your retirement? Because you, you did a bit of flying recently. Oh no, that, that was a, that was another saga. That is, that was another saga. Because I'd always wanted to fly, and so uh, a couple of years ago, I signed on with uh, Phoenix Aviation at Leon Solent, and said to them, um, 
teach me to fly, which they did. A very expensive hobby. But uh, in the end, I went solo on the 12th of December 2017 at the grand age of 75. Grief. So have you managed to keep up any flying or no well, they've had terrible things of course with the uh, with the the pandemic uh, they've all been grounded people have laxed in qualifications i've got older uh, and things like uh, air crew medicals are very expensive 250 pounds a throw and basically i went flying with a friend of mine and I went up up country and then came back and uh, she said to me she said uh, do you enjoy your flying I said well it's all right she says yeah but you seem to be busy all the time you've got no time to look out and it's true it's true it's it's very very demanding and you can get into an awful lot of trouble uh, I'd imagine of, very quickly as very well. quickly one of the one of the women uh, a few months ago uh, got got caught with a thing. It's called an infringement. If you infringe airspace, civilian airspace, then you get you can get logged. And so she was brought up in front of the powers to be down at the at the aviation club, and they said to her, "Well, you infringed Southampton airspace." She says, "Yes, I know I infringed the airspace." So they said, "Well, well, how did you know?" And she said, "I could see the runway." <laughs> wasn't tempted to put it down on there no 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 <laughs> mind you i guess that there's not been a huge amount of air traffic around at the moment no it's just starting to get back i suppose after the pandemic yeah yeah um, but uh no it, it's it's exciting you know and uh the, the way they do it it's a standard thing throughout the flying world you they will not say to you right tomorrow you're going to go solo or that they will not tell you at all. And the morning I did it, I'd done a couple of uh, circuits, a couple of flights around, and then I landed. And he said, right, okay, take us back to air traffic. And so we got there, and I thought, oh, it's a short, short lesson today. Uh, and he jumped out, and he said, off you go. You're on your own. Do a circuit. Go. Bye. <laughs> and that was it. Uh... And that was it. <laughs> Yeah. Flying panic. <laughs> what do I do? And suddenly you realise you're up there, yeah. you know, fifteen hundred feet, and you think, God, this aeroplane—they're quite big, four four seaters, yeah. all enclosed sort of thing. And you've got to realise that I've got to get this thing down. Well, you got it up there. Yeah. <laughs> what well, goes that, up has got to come down. Getting it up is not too bad at all. Literally, you whack the throttle open, and it virtually takes off into the air on its own. Getting it down. Mm, not so good, yeah. I I nearly found my way uh, into Asda through the roof. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I I've had experience of flying. I used to be a hang glider pilot and a hand gliding instructor many 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 years ago, and um, we used to fly up in in sort of South Wales a lot, sort of up in Merthyr Merthyr, um, up in the valleys around that area. And I can remember one of the flights I went on, um, I went over the back at Merthyr and um, I came down uh, and had to land in a very small field. And I had another flight. Um, we were flying up on um, Pandy, which is just outside of Abergavenny. 
and you fly along the ridge and you can make a jump across and you fly up the further up um, what's, what's the I forget what the, the way is but you're flying up there and you come up to Hay on Y well halfway up I, I'm catching a little thermal and this buzzard decides he's going to join me so I'm following this buzzard around and I'm we're going up and we're coming down and then all of a sudden he's decided he's had enough of me following him around. So he's led me into some real sink and I've gone down and there's no way up and I've landed out and I'm about five miles from anywhere up this valley. <laughs> it, it took me the best part of the rest of the day to get recovered. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't funny, it wasn't clever. My top tip is if you're flying a hang glider, and you're firmling, don't follow any buzzards yeah, because yeah. they'll just mug you off. Yeah. I think my most memorable flying experience was uh, uh, at Yeovilton. Uh, and I was on a squadron, a Sea Vixen squadron. And I hadn't recently been a chief petty officer for long. And it was literally pitched in at the deep end. We were watch keeping. And I'd come on watch at midday uh, to uh, to find this engine half in and half out of the aircraft. And I crack, cracked on, and by ten o'clock that night, it was all buttoned in and ready ready for ground running the following morning. So I turned up to do the ground run, which is quite an exciting thing as a young chief petty officer running one of these monsters, one of these Avon engines. So I did all that, did all the checks on it. And went in and they said, I said, right, okay, she's ready for the test flight. So I sat, sat there in the office and suddenly the door burst open and this apparition came in in flying kit and all fully booted and spurred. <laughs> Quite a short looking sub-lieutenant. And he was a cockney. <laughs> seen nothing like it. All right, Captain. And he walked in and he said, morning all, morning all. He says, I've come to fly these bloody aircraft. Uh, who's, who's fixed it? And I said, well, I have, sir. I've fixed it. He, she said, you're ready to go, is it? All fine? I said, yes. I said, I ran it this morning. It's as sweet as a nut. He says, that's good, he said. I said, oh, I'm, I'm pleased about that. I said, you're going to just do the test flight. And he says, yeah. And he said, uh, got news for you. <laughs> I said, well, what's that? He says, you're coming with me. <laughs> so he says, you've got 40 minutes to go across to the ejection seat workshop, get yourself a brief on the ejection seat, get yourself kitted up, and I'll see you back here. Okay, happy with that? Oh, God. <laughs> so off I went, got all the all the information. And then, I don't know if you know the CVIX and the, the observer's seat, the second seat, is literally down a, a hole. They call it the coal hole. And there's a hatch comes down over the top. And you're you're there way way down in the depths of this aircraft. And the pilot's up to to the left-hand side. But so, can you actually see out? As a, as a, you, a little tiny window. That's all you can see. Well, that's not so, a lot of fun. No, no. So he says, right. And I was obviously talking to him over the, over the set. And he says, right. Oh, you're all right then, Chief? I said, yeah. I said, yes, sir, yeah, yeah, fine. Right, okay, he said, right, we're off. And so off we shot, off and down Somerset and started toodling round. And then he said, uh, have you uh, ever been through the speed of sound? 
I said, no, no, not at all. He says, you're about to do so. <laughs> he says, we're going to go up now to 49,000 feet over Heartland Point. He says, and then uh, I'll tip it over on its back and we'll go through the speed of sound. You happy with that? I said, yes, yes. <laughs> so, in fact, that's what he did. And then um, he said, right, let's go and have a look at South Wales. So we went booming along the beaches of South Wales. And then uh, over the Bristol Channel, did a bit more flying and recovered back into Yeovilton and landed on. And uh, Didn't uh, miss the runway then? No. And it didn't break down halfway? No, he was fine. He was fine. And his name was Sub-Lieutenant Newsome. And he had a nickname. Because he was a Cockney, they used to call him Gruesome Newsome. <laughs> and I found out oh, a couple of years ago that he he got killed. He got killed. And... I'm afraid. Well, flying. Yeah, yeah. And I'm, I'm pleased really that I've, I've, I failed my first air crew medical when I was very young. I had high frequency deafness in the left ear. Uh, and I think that, uh, and so that was me out as far as I was concerned with air crew, RN air crew flying. But I think if I had happened, gone through, got commissioned and gone through as a pilot, I don't think I'd be alive today. It was a very, very disaster you say the sea vixen aircraft was in service for 10 years 10 years and killed that's, 64 people that's a very short lifespan for an yeah. aircraft yeah. in the in the service for, yeah they normally keep them in for decades and decades and yeah. decades. i mean yeah. we're still flying um aircraft from the the 40s <laughs> yeah. well john derry flew the pre uh, the, uh, the, the the test plane the dh110 and killed 25 people at farnborough on that aircraft, and so yeah, sixty-three people got killed. So, not a good record. Not a very good record, and but an, a very exciting flight. I can imagine. <laughs> so, where do we go from there then? So, well, what about your sailing career? Sailing. How did, how did you actually get into sailing? Was that through Ganges? And and what about gaining it? Um, Qualifications and that. Well, yeah, it started off uh, at um, when I was at uh, Arbroath, and I used to go canoeing quite a lot weekends, and I was just about to go uh, to, to go on draft from Arbroath, and I got a phone call to say I had to report to the training commander's office. So I went down there and he, he said to me, he says, he says, oh, he says, you're a bit of an action man. He said, how do you fancy going on a tall ship's sailing race? And what it was, that to qualify, you had to have certain percentage of the crew as novices. Oh, that, that ruse, was it? Yeah. <laughs> so I found myself flying out to Eichberg to pick up one of the windfall yachts, Merlin, uh, and picking up at Edgeburg and sailing up to Oslo. And then we came down and we did the Oslo to Ostend uh, sail training race, a tall, ship, tall ships race in 1960. And uh, that was my baptism of fire. I came off Merlin and said, I'm never, ever going on a bloody yacht again, <laughs> ever. <laughs> and that's where it stayed for years and years and years until I went to Australia and then went out sailing and I thought, oh, I like this. So I came back 
uh, and I put in for all the courses down at Joint Services. And so I did my comp crew, day skipper, coastal skipper, and then uh, I did the ocean. I did the ocean yacht master. And my qualifying voyage was from Gibraltar to Madeira. And that's when I did all my sun sights and things like that. And got my ticket as an ocean yacht master. Yeah. Well, so the North Sea can be pretty savage to oh, anybody. God. It's we we came down it last summer, and it was, yeah, well, it was pretty rough. Yeah. Fortunately, we had a northerly blowing us down, um, and we were just cresting the short, nasty little waves that it produces. Um, it, it wasn't a lot of fun, but we got away with it. It was exciting reading. I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> <laughs> we had we had fun writing it anyway. But on Merlin, we, of course, there were no GPS or anything like that at all. And so we had a skipper uh, who's a famous sailor, a chap called Nigel Tetley. Uh, he was on the boat called Victress and got killed trying to do around the world. Nigel Tetley and his method of navigation was to sail up to a ship and hold up the galley table written on the bottom our position please <laughs> okay so that's one way of doing it <laughs> that's why that's how we navigated down to Ostend crikey we just I guess from Oslo as long as you miss the top bit of um, Denmark it's pretty much a straight run down unless <laughs> if you if you keep um, Holland on the left and the UK on the right you're going to get there sooner or later. Yeah, yeah. Oh, but, but you know, it it was it was it, we had some great great fun. Certainly, with with the services sailing centre, you know, because the RAF had two boats, Lord Trenchard, and there was another Lord something or another Lord, and we went into Alderney. And went to the the restaurant, which was a sort of the first and last. And I I said, uh, "Can I book a table?" She said, "She's no, we're for, sorry." He said, "We're we're booked up tonight." He he said, uh, "We're booked up." I said, "Oh, it's a pity." I said, "I'll I'll tell the Lord that we the no seat." He said, "What do you mean, Lord? Well, who's that?" And I said, "Lord Trenchard." <laughs> <laughs> so he said, "Lord Trenchard, how many is in your crew?" I said, "Well, actually." I said, there's 11 of us, not 12, there's 11 of us. Mm, maybe I can fit you in. So we all trooped in there, <laughs> trooped in there. So halfway through the meal, he comes up and taps, taps me on the shoulder and whispers in my ears, he says, can you, could you just tell me, point out to me, who is Lord Trenchard? I said, what are you on about? And he said, well, who's Lord? I said, that's the name of the boat. <laughs> <laughs> Properly mugged him off. He was not very happy. <laughs> Did he increase the bill? Yeah, but no, uh, sailing is it's it's just been just been amazing. Loved it. Okay, thanks, Tim. I think that's been pretty pretty awesome. <laughs> Thank you for your time. That's all right. It's been it's been a pleasure. Well, I hope you enjoyed that. If you did, please like it and share it with your friends. If your podcast app allows, please review it, rate it, as this will help me massively. Thank you for listening.